Welcome to Beating Cancer Daily. Beating stage four cancer for 30 years still takes my breath away every time I say it. I'm Saren, founder of the Comedy Cures Foundation, and I hope you'll join me for just a few minutes daily for the next 365 days so we may laugh, learn, maybe cry a little as we live our best days beating cancer daily together. These are my favorite days, and they're my favorite days because I get to spend this time with you and Jackie Bryan, who's one of my favorite people and one of the most incredible functional medicine experts that I know. If you have never heard an episode of Beating Cancer Daily, you are in for such a treat because Jackie Bryan is a registered nurse, a certified nutrition specialist, a whole health educator, and a certified health coach. And she just demystifies topics that as a cancer survivor, a stage four cancer survivor, I just love to learn about. And for anybody coming up through the cancer experience, I wish I had had Jackie by my side. So if you haven't heard every single episode with Jackie, go into the Beating Cancer Daily search and just put an expert and just start devouring them. Welcome, Jackie. Hi, Saren. It's so great to be here. Thank you for having me. This is a good topic. Did you tell them yet what we're talking about? Didn't. I didn't. But I'm so curious because anytime someone mentions the word fasting, I get nervous because I just (laughs) have been surrounded by people with eating disorders. And so I have a negative connotation with fasting. And then I know all the religious times you fast, but how do you do this safely? And how do you do it if you're, and should you do it if you're going through cancer treatment? So I really can't wait for you to enlighten us about this. I'm excited about this topic too. And thanks for sharing your perceptions of fasting. I will tell you that I actually, years ago, I shared the same thought process. I thought, it would set people up for disordered eating patterns or possibly cause some other health issues. And truly, it can if it's not done properly. So today, I think we're going to demystify what intermittent fasting is and explore safe ways to do it should you choose to bring this into your regular routine. And then I'm going to share with you my favorite method of time-restricted eating, which is a version of intermittent fasting. How does that sound? It sounds incredible. And and I just want to let you know, there is so much humor on the internet about intermittent fasting. And what the first one I stumbled upon was just so simple. And it said, isn't intermittent fasting just intermittent eating? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I'm glad you said that because that was my thought process, right? People would fast for a day and then they'd go binge eat. And this was a concern. Are we setting people up for disordered eating patterns by doing this, right? And so this is why it's important to understand what intermittent fasting is. So if I were to say to you, Saren, what is intermittent fasting? How would you define it back to me? (laughs) I think of everything through a comic perspective. (laughs) One of 
one of the jokes I heard was intermittent fasting, the balance between listening to your body and telling it to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) It can be challenging. And I thought it was interesting when you were saying earlier that when you think about fasting, it makes you nervous. And we are a society that we don't like to be hungry, right? Being hungry makes us feel anxious. And, and that actually, that there's, they've done studies on that, right? And sometimes it, it's based on a person's history, if they struggled to, with food security as a child. But we know that sometimes feeling hungry can make us feel uh, anxious. And so let's talk about what intermittent fasting is. It's a dietary approach that can result in a metabolic shift, right? From using glucose, which is sugar, to fatty acids or ketones as fuel for our body, right? So one of the things that we have as a big problem in our world today is the food is readily available 24-7. We can eat any processed thing that we want anytime we want, and it's wreaking havoc on our overall health and wellness. We've got an obesity and overweight epidemic, and we are struggling with seeing diseases in young people that normally were saved for a much older population. We're seeing diabetes, type 2 in particular, heart disease, cancers, all sorts of things at a much earlier age, very concerning. And so intermittent fasting is something that I think is a very interesting topic. It is definitely not for everybody. But I think what's really interesting is it is a dietary practice that kind of dates back to that hunter-gather period. It was used by civilizations like Greeks, Romans, Chinese for medicinal purposes. And there's a number of religious entities that continue to, to use fasting, Christianity, Buddhism, Islam. There's a whole group that still continue to use fasting. And then there's people like me that use it for overall health and different ways in my life. So lots of different ways we can use it and understand it. There's a word that you said originally, ketones, that I had never Mm -hmm. heard growing up. And it became like such a buzzword, ketones, ketones. And you see it now, keto diet, and it's on labels. Can you explain what that is? Because I think there are a lot of people who probably just never caught up with that. Yeah, so ketones are acids your body makes when it's using fat instead of sugar for energy. So it's just, it's when you eat like a banana for breakfast and you go out for a walk, that your body walking is going to utilize the glucose that came from the bananas. When, and so it's shifting and it's using the glucose in that particular situation. When we start burning ketones, this is where we're burning fat instead of glucose, which is one of the reasons that you hear people talking about the keto diet might help them lose weight, something along that line. So that's really what they're talking about when they talk about using the ketones as fuel. And if people don't do the intermittent fasting correctly or for the right amount of time or things like that, they're not going to have that same result. But there's different types of fasting. So I think that's one thing that we should really talk about. Like, what are all the different types of fasting that do you know of any, Sarah, like different types of fasting that are things that people use for their health? No, I just know from religious reasons that there are several days out of the year where collectively as a religious group, we just don't eat. 
and you're and it comes from this idea that for those days you're literally an angel and so angels don't need to eat so i right. i have food insecurity i will tell you right now i'm basically a thin person and I was raised by a single dad. I've mentioned it before. And he was not a great chef. So there were a lot of TV dinners. And so I am someone who eats quite frequently. So I do want to learn about this. And I do want to create a more healthy eating pattern versus just eat every two hours because I like to know that there's food nearby. So this is important to me also because I think just by what you described already, eating so frequently probably isn't the most healthy thing for my body and my metabolism. It may be the right thing for you. So this is, we always have to go back to the fact that we are unique individuals. Our needs are very different than the next person, right? So we want to make sure that we honor that. I think when we learn and understand about new things, this is where we're all like big science experiments, right? We can figure out what's going to work for our body and what may not. Some examples of intermittent fasting protocols might be a alternating day fasting where day one, you eat whatever you want. Day two, you cut it back to about 25% of the calories that you would normally eat. So for example, you're on a 2,000 a day calorie diet, you eat that on day one. Day two, you eat 25% of that. And you, so it might be like 500 calories. And then the day three, you eat what you want. Day four, you go back to that 500 calories. So it's just eating very little amount. That's alternate day fasting. There's time-restricted feeding, which is probably one of my favorite ones because I think there's it serves several purposes. One is that it takes away certain danger zone times of eating, right? So if we say your eating window is 12 hours, for example, you eat between the hours of seven in the morning and seven at night, it eliminates that nighttime eating, right? The mindless eating that can often happen in front of the TV, things like that. So time-restricted feeding has different windows of time. Right. So some people will be fasting for 16 hours or 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours, 20 hours. I will say that the the 16 and up hours of fasting, I get a little bit concerned that it might set somebody up for some disordered eating patterns, things along that line. But I know many people that do it and they are very successful. And, but I think it's really important to know yourself. So for me, my time restricted feeding window is between, it's like a 12 hour window. Yeah. You've been very open about that on the podcast that after you eat dinner, you're not running back and forth. We've made jokes about the fact that my husband actually gets up in the middle of the night asleep and sleep eats and I find food in my hair. So he is, <laughs> he's the exact opposite of you. I've, I've always admired, I am a night snacker, but I'm not a sleep eater. He goes one more extreme. So between the two of us, we've got the <laughs> night covered. Meanwhile, you're sound asleep without food. So I'm aspiring to do what you do. I think I could do that. That sounds reasonable, this 25% shift. 
But you said there are other ways too, that there, there are other methods. We talked about the alternate day fasting, eating one day, 25% of the calories, the next alternating that way. And I found that personally very difficult because I'm an, I work out a lot. And so on those 25% days, that was really difficult for me. The time-restricted feeding that we talked about, where we have the hours of fasting anywhere from uh, 12 hours to 20 hours, I found the 12-hour window very reasonable. And so people that are interested in maybe starting time-restricted feeding, starting with 12 hours is reasonable. So you make your eating window from, say, like 7 to 7. But there is one other type of fasting that we don't, we, I didn't really touch on, which is a whole day fasting. So we talked about alternate fasting where you're doing 25% of your total calories. This is a whole day where you're just not eating. You're drinking water and you're just not eating. And this is where they fast for three days, day one, two, and three. And then day four, they eat what they want. And then they do a couple more days of a 24 hour fast. And I, this was not something that I could do. I think the closest I ever came to this was a colonoscopy <laughs> for just having to not eat really anything for that period of time, except they allow you to have some clear liquids, things like that. But it really depends on the person's, what they're doing it for, right? Number one. Number two is what is going to be the best for them. And I do recommend that people consult with a healthcare practitioner so that they can find the best solution for them. But I will tell you, one of the things that I'm really fascinated about is this sort of study of chrononutrition. And chrononutrition is a form of that time-restricted eating that I was just talking about. And this is what I'm most excited about. And truly, I'm talking a lot with my clients about it because chrononutrition looks at when you're eating. And there's this kind of growing body of research that shows that eating during a restricted window, which we're talking about that 12-hour window, can have a positive effect on overall health and things like blood sugar control and reduction of inflammation and chrononutrition. And to me, this sounds like a much kinder, gentler way of eating is where you're eating with your body's circadian rhythm. Doesn't that sound nice? It sounds very poetic. I need you to explain <laughs> circadian rhythm for people who won't know what that means. So your circadian rhythm is your body's internal clock, and it governs the cycle of physiological and biological processes. And to simplify that, it's how you're sleeping, your body temperature, your mental alertness. And what is interesting is that your insulin levels, and insulin is the hormone secreted through from your pancreas, your insulin is secreted in response to elevated blood sugar in your system. And the insulin acts as a portal to get the sugar into your muscles and your liver to give you the energy that you need. What chrononutrition does is it, it encourages people to eat during the day when your insulin levels are the highest, which means when you eat something, you'll have insulin, have plenty of insulin to be able to support the needs of that elevated blood sugar. So your insulin is highest couple hours in the morning, all the way until a few hours before you go to bed. So insulin dips off in the evening. But So that kind of makes sense why we shouldn't be eating after dinner, right? If your insulin level is really dipping off and we're eating a bunch of potato chips, watching TV before bed, we definitely don't have, our body is not primed to be able to support all of that 
carbohydrate that's coming into our body. So chrononutrition just basically means eat within your circadian rhythm. So in my situation, my circadian rhythm would be anywhere from seven or eight in the morning till about seven at night. And then the kitchen closes and I go to bed at 10. So having my last meal about three hours before bedtime really does work well for me. You know, I'm getting these really funny fasting jokes from a website I just stumbled upon. I know nothing about this website, so I'm not endorsing the website, but I just want to shout out that they have such a good sense of humor and it's just called super fast diet. (laughs) But the joke that I saw was fasting isn't hard if you sleep past noon. (laughs) (laughs) And that's that's one of the things that when I have people waking up at six and they're not having their first meal until 12 because they've really tightened up that eating window, their productivity might not be as great in the morning. It depends on the demands of their life. I know for me, I work out in the morning and that would be very difficult for me. But Let's talk about some of the benefits that we have seen with fasting over over time, right? So the research has shown that intermittent fasting can help with decreasing inflammation, which is really important, improved cardiometabolic risk factors. So it, it means it can help with the prevention of type 2 diabetes by balancing blood sugar, right? For that same reason that I talked about with the insulin levels just then. Um, we want to Sarah, we want to make our body more efficient. As someone who had cancer, I had breast cancer 20 years ago, I became particularly interested in what went wrong, (laughs) what happened inside my body that created such an imbalance that, that I got cancer. And understanding inflammation the way I do now and blood sugar balance, it really helps me understand why this is so incredibly important. Some other benefits that have been seen with intermittent fasting, and again, that includes all the different categories that we just talked about, are neuroprotection for our brain. And one of the big issues we're hearing about is this sort of type 3 diabetes, which is Alzheimer's. This is where we're starting to see damage to the brain. And many researchers and information that I've stumbled across are really implicating high blood sugar levels as an issue. So intermittent fasting can definitely help with balancing that as well. It's really cool. I do know that when people start telling you that they're fasting and doing this intermittent fasting, that it's usually a big topic of debate at a party. Like people have such strong views on this. And I think it's because we're not educated about it. (laughs) There's a funny joke that says, eat a double whopper and no one bats an eyelash fast for 16 hours, everyone loses their minds. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You know, we're curious people, right? And so we would like to, we weigh in on other people's decisions. I think the important thing is you have to really find the right formula for yourself, right? And this is, I just talked about some of the benefits for intermittent fasting. But people really need to decide if this is going to be the best thing for them. I know that some populations that are struggling with microbiome, and that's a whole nother topic that we've talked extensively about, but microbiome is that 
bacteria in your body that that is responsible for mood regulation, helps with keeping your immune system strong. It helps with the way the food is absorbed. The microbiome plays a role in just about everything that we do. There is some research with intermittent fasting that it has the ability to influence gut microbiota by by reducing systemic inflammation and even reducing leaky the leaky gut, which is important. I'm not saying this is the way that everybody has to go. To be an informed consumer, we need to take into consideration different options that might work for us. To me, this circadian rhythm, the whole idea of chrononutrition is super exciting and it makes sense. I like things that make sense. Creating fasting for really long periods of time does not make sense for my body. It might make sense for somebody else's body, but chrononutrition does, where I eat in in order of my circadian rhythm and I have a nice breakfast, eat throughout the day, but then I stop after dinner because I know that I don't have the hormone insulin as strong in there fighting for me, right? And I want to keep my blood sugar balanced. I want to keep inflammation low. And some people have found an improvement in sleep through fasting, right? If people aren't eating after dinner, there's been a really favorable impact on sleep quality and people are not sleeping well. This may be a technique that they want to try because we know that sleep, having a good night's rest is Obviously, it feels wonderful and it makes us more productive during the day. But there's also health risks associated with lack of sleep, things like insulin resistance, obesity, cardiovascular disease, and even cancer. I wonder if people are listening and going, I'm going to be hangry. If I stop eating at seven and I'm going to be hangry. So hangry meaning hungry and angry. (laughs) Finding the right formula for you. So if you don't eat a lot during the day and then you stop eating after dinner, you might be very hangry. Just like you said, you might be, but it's enough to front load your day with protein, fat, and fiber. And you have a really healthy dinner that's got some good sources of protein and fats in it that are going to help stabilize blood sugar. Then that's going to serve you well. And water. I think water's critical in this. Yeah, for sure. And so for People that are dealing with a chronic condition or some other health issue, something like cancer or even just cancer, what are some of the things that they need to be looking out for? What are some of the things that are most concerning for them? The obvious one is malnourishment, right? I know that when I was in, and I don't have any, I don't have a weight problem, but when I was having adermycin and cytoxin and taxol chemotherapy, I lost 20 pounds. Me too. I was like a walking skeleton. Yeah, it was. I was very thin. And I know that at that point, the doctors were like, just eat anything to get the weight on, right? Mm -hmm. Eat whenever you can. And I was so nauseous. And so malnourishment is one thing we want to consider. So if, if somebody is in the midst of cancer treatment or considering this while they're newly diagnosed or something, this is very important that you talk to your medical providers. That's really important. The other thing with intermittent fasting, especially if it's not done properly, is we can lose muscle, right? And muscle, again, is our engine. It helps with our metabolism. It helps keep us strong, helps with our posture, so many different things in our body. And so we want to be sure that we're not losing muscle because keep in mind, your heart is a muscle right? You're, there's so many parts of your body in order for it to function relies on muscle. So we really need to make sure that we are taking care of our muscle. And then the other thing, especially for 
in this, these apply to everybody, but I'm really focused in on our particular community that we're serving today, Sarah, which is our cancer community that on the days that we're not fasting, overconsumption of food might be problematic as well, right? So again, you could get into disordered eating patterns, but also keep in mind, if you don't eat for one whole day and then the next day you're shoving a lot of food down there, that creates a big burden on your digestive tract. So any of these types of modalities that you bring into your diet, these dietary approaches, you want to make sure that you're doing them smart and with some supervision. I think it's I think it's really helpful. I wonder what it's like now because 25 years ago when I entered the cancer system, if I had gone in and said, should I do fasting while on chemo? Should I the doctor wouldn't have had any tools or skills to have this conversation. I wonder if they are now way more educated about nutrition or you have to go to someone like you who's a certified nutrition specialist and have an a secondary expert monitor how you're handling this potential intermittent fasting. That's such a great question. And you, the answer is really, it depends. I work with as many cancer patients. And so we do talk about this on occasion as well, if this is something of interest to them. I do work with every single cancer patient on blood sugar balance, finding finding a balance for that. And depending upon their medical team, they may or may not weigh in on intermittent fasting. I'm not sure. Most places that are providing chemotherapy, radiation, will have a nutritionist that they can refer people to. So if you're interested in connecting with somebody in your hospital, you just have to ask. This is where we advocate for ourselves, right? We have to find solutions that are going to be the best for our own situation. And nutritionists are very important on our medical team. And I agree with you, Saren, that I don't think that nutritionists were valued the same way back 20 years ago when we were diagnosed compared to now. I think there's been, think about all of the research, how far we've come in 20 years. I mean, I just went back and had, I had all my genetic testing for BRCA1 and 2 genes for breast cancer back 20 years ago. And I was just told by my oncologist that, hey, there's 70 more genes (laughs) that they could test you for. And I was like, really? Wow. So I went back for my, I have two daughters. I have a mom and a sister. I went back and had all my genetic testing just done over the last few weeks. I don't have the results yet, but it, but science is evolving. Nutrition is a part of it. There's this whole science called nutrigenomics, and we could do a podcast on that because it's basically testing your genes to see what your predisposition is, what is your, what are some of the things that you are prone to or deficiencies you might be prone to or things that, and it doesn't mean that it will actually happen, but it gives you a little bit of a crystal ball into things that you might be prone to. Oh, I went to a luncheon on this whole topic in New York City, and one of the leading experts actually asked if she could come on the podcast with us and talk about this. So it's something that we should definitely do. I'm just curious. Really interesting. And it is a like I provide, I just started providing nutrigenomic testing in my practice and it's fascinating. It's a really fa- fascinating type of test. And it just, it gives people an inside peek into what's actually 
their genetic makeup and what things they may need to focus on. So cool. I'm so curious because I have seen so much written about chemo and some form of fasting with chemo. So it seems to be Mm -hmm. something that's very much talked about. Can you touch on that? Yeah. So it really, again, depends on the person, depends on the type of chemo and depends on that person's unique health situation at that moment. Are they underweight? Are they, we want to make sure that all of these things are done in a proper way so that the person doesn't lose any ground. But there's been some research. So for example, for breast cancer recurrence, there's several universities in San Diego that are suggesting that fasting for 13 hours a day may reduce the risk of breast cancer recurrence and death from the disease. And again, these, all of these things need further studies, but I actually do the 12 hours a day. So I do that seven to seven and feel pretty good. The goal is to keep the inflammation low and eating an awful lot before bed when our insulin level isn't that high is going to create some sort of an imbalance in our blood sugar, which isn't overly healthy. There was a study done in 2016 that suggested that fasting may make cancer cells more sensitive to chemotherapy, which might be what you're alluding to. Yeah, that was the study that I saw. That was the study. Yeah. And it can protect normal cells and promote stem cell production. There was a 2014 study that was done on mice that theorized that fasting may help the immune system regenerate. Here's what's exciting. It's another approach or modality that we as healthcare providers can offer to our patients with the, this could possibly help. Because obviously we don't have a cure for cancer. We have many treatments that can put us into remission and cure some people. However, it's difficult to know because we are all unique and that's what makes this a very challenging disease. There is some information that talks about fasting reduces your glucose levels. That's the blood sugar I was talking about. And it makes it harder for cancer to grow, right? So if you think about those PET scans, they inject you with a sugar solution and they look to see if things light up in the PET scan. Cancer cells need to feed on glucose and consuming too much, as we were talking about earlier, can also lead to potential cancer growth. That's not been proven. So I am not saying that is a fact, but they're throwing out these ideas of ways that that fasting can help. And fasting is one way that the cells try to conserve their energy by making it easier for the membranes to metabolize insulin, right? So these are things that we can just think about. And then fasting can also help with cell regeneration. That's another piece that they were talking about. So as you can tell, there, there are different ideas of what fasting can do. But I think the most important thing is for people to look at their own unique situation to determine if this can fit into their life. If they're looking for just a place to start, right? If you're looking for just a place like, how do I get started? I think the 12-hour window is a wonderful way to start. I think finding a window of time and eating before bed isn't necessarily going to serve you well, but I think it's a, it's one way that 12-hour window might be helpful and beneficial to the person. Yeah, I think also what you said was three hours before you go to sleep. That might be less intimidating <laughs> just to say three hours before you go to sleep. Maybe that's the babiest baby step to take. I know that there was a time where 
everyone I knew was doing intermittent fasting and they love to announce it because you'd offer them food. No, I'm intermittent fasting. <laughs> yeah, everyone I talk to, men, women, I'm intermittent right. fasting. No, it's not in my window. <laughs> and there was a cute joke that said, first rule about fasting, you don't talk about fasting. <laughs> Yet everybody talks about it. I also think there's a lot of positive and negative associations with fasting. And I think our goal today was really to demystify it. There's lots of different approaches. I, I only named, I did the alternate day fasting, the time-restricted eating, and then the whole day fasting. But within those main categories, there's so many different protocols that, that people can follow. And there's the five and two, which you eat normally for five days and then two days you're going to 25% of your calories. There's six and one. There's lots of different options that people can try. But like I said earlier, you really have to find what's working best for you. And so anyone that's really interested in an intermittent fasting protocol really should try to work with somebody to find the best solution for them. Because we want to make sure that it's reasonable for the person that it aligns with their health goals and it's not going to set them back. I did have a client at one point that was intermittent fasting and it was really causing gut issues and blood sugar imbalance issues. So we just made the window a little bit bigger and they felt much better. They were having some lightheadedness and things along that line. And so I think what we need to think about is what are some of the ways that we can find the best fit for that person. And that's really the guidance that I would give people is intermittent fasting is out there. It's not going away. It's been around for centuries since, since our hunter-gatherer days. But how is this modality or this approach going to serve you best? And that's really important for us to explore together with your nutritionist at the hospital, with somebody like me, finding the best solution. And if you are in active treatment for cancer, it's very important for us to make sure that you get this confirmed with your medical team. Yeah, I was going to say that. I don't think I'd feel comfortable doing it without an expert for a couple reasons. But then you also throw in there these juice cleanses and then heard people do things with pepper or lemon or all these right. different things cayenne that you drink. And, yeah. yeah, cayenne. And mm -hmm. I think I would, I personally wouldn't feel comfortable. And then I would also probably post signs of disordered eating because I would be afraid that it could trigger some form of anorexia or bulimia. And, and I would want to make sure that it never crossed that line. So I just personally would urge anybody if you are going to do this, do what Jackie said, find the nutritionist within your medical team and just start a dialogue. Just make sure that you're doing this with supervision. I'll feel better. Just I'll feel so much better if I know that. There are populations that should not intermittent fast. And I think maybe we should just, we talked about our cancer community, but if someone's a diabetic, they require a, a steady stream of certain nutrients to be able to keep their blood sugar balanced. That's a really important community. Somebody that's pregnant, right? So this is why medical supervision is so important to make sure that you're the right candidate for this. And I think that's really key. But I'm thrilled that we talked about it today, Sarah, because I hope we demystified it for some of your community because 
it's interesting. It's out there. It's all over social media. And it's, sometimes with social media stuff, it's, it's very difficult for us to discern what is truth and what is not, what's fake news, real news. And so I think helping us understand the health benefits that with things that we talked about can certainly create maybe that compelling why somebody wants to look into this approach. Yeah. And I really love this chrono with meaning time. Yeah. I love this chrono approach. So thank you so much, Jackie. I always learn so much from you and I want to invite you listening to let me know how is this going for you? Are you excited to try it? Are you already doing it? Did you do it and it wasn't for you? You can always go to comedycures.org and hit the contact button and send us a message or go to the podcast section and hit the record button and just tell us. And I'll share it with Jackie. We love that you tune in and listen to and think about all of these different concepts. It's a 365-day podcast because we're hoping to introduce some of the things that both of Jackie and myself have done to stay healthy and to go through this cancer experience. And now for both of us, it's decades. So if you want to learn more about Jackie Bryan, she has an unbelievable website. You can go to JackieBryan.com. If you can't find it, then just write to us at the Comedy Cures Foundation and we'll send you her signature. She has so many ways to engage with her expertise. And we're just so honored, Jackie, that you come here and you talk to us Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I love it. And I wish everybody well in our community here. Have a blessed day and I'll see you tomorrow. It was so great connecting with you today. If you'd like to connect more, go to comedycures.org and check out the Beating Cancer Daily membership levels. It is so fun to meet up with all of you at our many different events. We have live virtual Q&A sessions with me. We have live Comedy Cures comedy events, live health builder workshops with Jackie, Brian, Ariana, and myself, a robust monthly newsletter, plus much more. So just go to comedycures.org and look for the membership level that feels right for you. And don't forget, you can also give one as a gift to your patient if you're a doctor, to a friend, to a family member. It really makes a very unique and personal gift. That's comedycures.org and sign up today. Thanks so much. See you tomorrow. Guess what time it is? It's time for me to read the disclaimer. Beating Cancer Daily and the Membership Circle are not in lieu of medical advice or treatment. They are for entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare team to review your best strategy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>